I want to start by just kind of reminding you of where we've been as a church here over the last many, many weeks. We've been in this series called Surrender Solution. Everybody say it. And it's a series of messages about how we understand and what is required to follow Jesus. We actually started with a series before that called Disciple, and, we, and it is there that we started talking about the heart of a disciple. And really, this is the, the heart of the issue about becoming a disciple or a follower of Jesus, is you got to settle the issues of love and obedience to Jesus. You can't love Jesus and not obey him. That doesn't work. That means you're not following. <laughs> you can't obey Jesus and not love him. That's dead religion. That's just doing the things that you know you're supposed to do. There's something beyond just doing, and it is a relationship. And so we talked about how everything about being a disciple is relational, not informational. In other words, it's not about how much information you can learn that makes you really spiritual. I know a lot of old Christians, and not all of them <laughs> are wise. Right? Sometimes they're just old. And so there's a, there's, a, there's, there's a relational dynamic with Jesus and a relational dynamic with others that create this following of Jesus together. Then we talked about how it's intentional. It's not accidental. You have to be intentional. There are things that you must do and engage in and connect with. And there's something powerful when we become intentional in the way we live. And then, of course, we talked about how it's the life of a disciple is seasonal and cyclical. If you've ever kind of came to a point in your life where you said, man, I, th I thought I was done with this. I thought this was over, but I'm, it seems like I'm right back here. Have you, ever said, have you ever had that happen to you? I have, and here's the thing. You, you did deal with it in the past, and now Jesus is drilling down a little further. And it's just going to happen the rest of your life. Jesus, at the end of his life, we find him draped over a rock, agonizing over surrendering to his father. You and I will live that same way. And, and, and the lie of the enemy is, oh, yeah, you haven't made any progress. It's a lie. Don't believe it. The, you, you have made progress. Jesus is drilling down into your life, into your heart in a new way. And that's the seasonal and cyclical nature because sometimes there are highs and sometimes there are lows. You got highs and you got lows. Throw me that football. You guys, you guys, know, you guys know football right now in Texas is good. Yeah. Dallas Cowboys are playing good. Texas won yesterday. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? TCU is undefeated. Like, well, the Texans, yeah, that's a little, they're, they're having a little trouble. <clears throat> but they're not as bad as they could have been. You know, what's so interesting, though, is you can, you can tell when Texas teams are winning and when they're losing. Can't you? Can't you? It's like, it's like, it's like people are like, when, when, when their sports team is winning, it's like, oh, yeah, baby, having a great time. And then when they're losing, oh, shut up. 
It's weird. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means to be steady. What it means to grow. What it means not to be so up and down, even though you will have, you will have peaks and you will have valleys in your life. How do you maintain your faith through all of those peaks and valleys? How do you stay consistent? Thomas, you want to? Come on, baby. Oh, nice one. Okay, one more time. Come on, this is just because it's so fun. Oh, I can't see. There's light lights right there. It's like, come on, somebody in the back of the room. Come on. Who's, who wants it? Who wants it? Come on. Come on, you guys. Come on. Okay. Come on. Here you go, Michael. Ready? Woo! You. Don't throw it back. Don't throw it back. Where was I? We're steady, cyclical, seasonal, and then it's spiritual. There's something, see, here's the, here's the way you can stay steady, because the Holy Spirit is forming you into the image of Jesus. That's how this works. And so we're studying this, we're talking about it, and we're trying to really shift our thinking about what we do as a church. That what we're involved in at every level is our are the basic building blocks of following Jesus, discipling. And so vulnerability is the first one. Vulnerability is something everybody has to settle. I'm gonna be vulnerable with God, I'm gonna be vulnerable with people. You got identity, identity is so important. It is the defining characteristic. The love of God comes into your life and the love of your heavenly father, you've gotta settle it. And if you never settle it, you stop growing. Because you can't figure out your identity. You've got this next piece, which is devotion. You find your way to understanding what it means to give God all your loyalty, your attention, your time, your treasure. It's, so, it's such a big thing. And finally, that leads to this moment where you realize, I've got to surrender everything. I've got to surrender everything, and this is the hard thing. This is the, this is the thing that's, notice that it's upside down. It's upside down because this is an upside down way of thinking about life. See, it's different than your culture, our culture, my culture. This is the kingdom of God, and it, there's an upside down way that we find true, abundant life. And the problem for so many of us is we're, we've, we've not believed that Jesus has a solution for our life that is better than the one we can create. But it's true. Surrender is it. You give up. You give away everything. And then last week we talked about serving. See, so notice what's happening here. We're coming around this side of the circle, and it's all internal. It's all internal work. And God's work in our lives is both internal and external. So as we turn the corner here, we start to reveal, we start to display the love of God towards others. And we start to serve, we find our way. We said last week that the legacy of Jesus is serving and therefore it must be our legacy. And today we're gonna talk about habits. We're gonna talk about spiritual disciplines. Everybody say, oh joy. But it's gonna be good, you're gonna love it because serving Spiritual disciplines, and then the next one is influence. 
talk about that next week. These three things create a legacy for every life. Serving, habits, influence, it reveals your legacy. Our legacy as a church. And so I want to talk about this. And legacy is something we talk about every year at this time as we're heading up to the holidays. And it's so important because it, we, we remind ourselves, we look internally, we ask ourselves hard questions. What makes our lives matter and what makes our church matter? Do we matter enough? How can we matter more? How can we leave a legacy? A lot of times we're talking about leaving a legacy. This year we're kind of focused on how do we live out our legacy right now. And we're talking about that, making a difference in our city, our neighborhoods, our families. And I want to remind you of the legacy offering, December 11th. When is it? December 11th. It's the only, listen, it's the only special offering we do every year. It's one time a year where we say, listen, we want to take a giant step forward in our vision and our mission. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to think about it. We're going we're to evaluate where we are. And I want every one of you to pray and ask God what you should do to help us take a, a giant step forward. And so we're thinking about all kinds of things, but all kinds of ways we might push forward into our city or into our community. But to be honest, God's given us a vision to train kids and families every Sunday. He's given us a vision to invest in students. He's given us a vision to do outreach in a, on a, in a routine way. This is just who we are. We reach out to people and we share the love of God with them. We're, we're, we believe that one of the most difficult things anybody can do is stay married. This is part of our calling to help people stay married. With, with things that we do, with teaching and walking together, disciple-making is what God's called us to. In, you know what? And, and disciple-making, if you are a disciple, that means you make a disciple. You can't be a disciple unless you make a disciple, because that's what they do. So there's a question that we all have to answer. Are we going to invest in other people? Or are we going to live for ourselves? The legacy starts to appear when you invest in others. And there's something, so that's what we're doing as a church, but we're dreaming of things like becoming a more practical storehouse for basic necessities whenever there's a disaster or an emergency. And I think, I, I, Amy and I, I have been praying about this, and, and we just feel like God wants us to be more prepared for whatever happens next. Be more prepared so that when people who are in desperate need think to themselves, where could I go? Oh, I can go to that church. There's a church over there in that neighborhood and they're giving away food because I need this right now. Um, my electricity is off and they have some essentials that I can get. See, I, I think we just need to be more, um, we need to be a more applied, more practical. Um, we are in partnership with something called ADRN, which is Austin Disaster Relief Network, and it's a network of churches, and we're going to kind of step up to the plate and become a place where we could become a practical storehouse. We're thinking about things like the community garden. I've talked about this before, but we couldn't get it done last year, but we're on track. We, 
plans are being made right back here to create a massive community garden where we're going to raise food, we're going to give it away, but we're also going to train young people about how life works. And, and, and it's going to be a really cool thing. And, and so we're, we've got plans, we've got designs on it. And, uh, and I want you to understand, we, we want to finish this property in a way that makes this property um, something that every neighbor in the, in the two-mile radius around this church knows they can come and hang out. And I think there's something about that. Uh, walking their dogs, having a prayer walk. I believe in a prayer walk around this property. They won't know it's a prayer walk. They'll just think it's a nice place to walk their dog. But little do they know they've been prayed for by most of us who have walked that path and prayed for those neighbors. You see what I'm saying? There's, there's just things like that that we need to do together. And I, 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 I want you to understand, I, I don't want anybody to be forced I don't want anybody to be pressured. I'm not forcing something on you. I want you to decide what you want to do and give what God put in your heart to give. And that's the biblical way. There's no way to give without willingness. It's not giving then, it's taking. You gotta give by faith and a willingness. If somebody forces you to do it, it's not giving anymore. It doesn't work. So I want you to hear that from me. The reason this is so powerful is because Jesus is the one who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I want you to just think about this for a second. Think about everything you've ever bought for yourself. All right? Think about your, um, a new outfit, a new car, maybe a new phone. I love new phones, don't you? These are things that like, bring us like this instant joy, Right? But what happens? The first ding in the car, that joy vanishes. First time you drop your phone, oh, it's not new anymore. The joy vanishes. I want you to, now I want, now I want you to think about the times you gave something really meaningful to someone. Think about the gift that really mattered to your parents or the Christmas gift that you gave your spouse that they never expected. Maybe the gift you gave just out of the blue to your best friend and the tears that you saw in their eyes as they received something from you and said, thank you. Like, I want you to think about the time that you served someone and took care of them. Maybe it was helping with a, a spare tire. They, were, they, were, they, they needed to change their tire. Or maybe it was buying them a cup of coffee. Or maybe it was something, you know, just like you brought a meal to them or you just did something small or something that seemed insignificant to you but it meant something to them. What you did was you changed something. Things we enjoy that we buy for ourselves, they quickly fade, but things that we give, when we give ourselves away, something that lasts, something that matters begins to happen if we do it in faith. If we do it in, by faith in what God has given us to do. This is what a legacy is. This is what the legacy offering is. It's taking what we have and using it to bring joy to other people, not just to ourselves. And so I want us all to pray. How can I give this year? I believe as we listen to God, miracles are going to happen in our hearts and miracles are going to happen in our community. And I truly believe, listen, I truly believe God doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. 
You know, so, so that's what this is about. I can't wait to hear the stories that God is going to do when we come together and we decide we're going to live our legacy together. So come on, One Chapel, let's go. Let's go, let's do this, come on. Let's pray over this. Father, we just thank you for the calling to, to, to have a legacy, the calling to make a difference, the calling to make something matter in people's lives, to reveal something eternal that's hidden from them. Father, we pray that we would willingly embrace this, that we would together pray and ask. I pray every person would just spend the next several weeks seeking your heart. What do you want them to do? How do you want them to prepare? What do you want them to give? How do you want them to serve? We pray this together. We thank you for your word today. Let it illuminate our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in college, uh, a man, a pastor by the name of Larry Lee was the spiritual director. And he had written a book called, Could You Not Tarry One Hour? Could you not tarry one hour? Now, Terry, for those of you who don't know that, could you not wait with me or pray with me one hour? It's, it's a title that references Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he brought his three best buddies, disciples, Peter, James, and John, and wanted them to pray with him, and they kept falling asleep. Okay, so this title is about that story. Could you not pray with me for one hour? And, and I was in college, and we had these early morning prayer meetings, Right, early morning prayer meetings, and 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 as a college student, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna be early morning prayer meetings, and and everybody, you know, he preached on it in chapel, and everybody's like, yeah, we're gonna do early morning prayer meetings. That title of that book was the source of more guilt in my life than anything else I've ever had, <laughs> because it happened, it went pretty good for a couple weeks, but then you know the crowd started uh, dying down. <laughs> College students didn't want to come to early morning prayer anymore. <laughs> and the truth is, I, I had to wrestle through the, the guilt context of what it means to like be committed to prayer. I spent, I think, a few years in college and just after college trying to figure it out. And I had a revelation one day about how everything in my life with Jesus is relational and not transactional. So that Jesus wasn't that upset when I missed my prayer time. That Jesus really wasn't upset at all. Like he's like just waiting for me, but he doesn't get upset about that stuff. He's not agonizing over whether or not you're gonna do your quiet time. <laughs> he's not calling a committee meeting of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What are we going to do about John? What are we going to do about him? I don't know. No, that's not happening. But what I realized was at some point, if I didn't pray specifically, if I didn't create time where I was going to spend with God intentionally, that legalism wasn't anymore my problem. 
Now my problem was laziness. Are you with me? So there's this legalism laziness problem that creates tension in our lives. And I want to suggest to you today that one of the ways that we live out our legacy is we develop really good habits. Really good habits in our lives. Many Christians have called them spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, I think, are really healthy. Everybody say healthy. When you think about spiritual disciplines, some of you, your mind begins to go to images of calisthenics and workouts, like military men and women on morning hikes, you know, like discipline, consistent, efficient work schedules. For those who've been around the church for a while, it's a little different. There's the, the idea of discipline maybe conjures up something else, a strict code of moral conduct or some kind of Bible reading plan. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but there's something called the one-year Bible. It is awesome, I'm telling you. It is, it is so good to read your Bible every day. But the bigger question really is, are you growing? Are you growing spiritually? Are you growing? And, and maybe that's not even the greatest question. Maybe the greater question is, how do you grow spiritually? How do you grow spiritually? Here's what I want to recommend to you. Those who establish good and right habits over a long period of time will be the most influential people. Those are legacy people. You establish a legacy when you do good habits. I love this definition from John Ortberg. He says, spiritual discipline is any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. Isn't that good? I love John Ortberg. He wrote this awesome book called The, the Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. I highly recommend it. So what do we mean by the word discipline then? Well, discipline means healthy habits that result in spiritual maturity and growth. That's what we're talking about. Life practices that enable us to become more fruitful, that cause us to grow. What are the habits and the practices that you have that keep you growing spiritually? That help you become stronger, more rooted, more fruitful as disciples and disciple makers. Here are Richard J. Foster's 12 disciplines. This is from his seminal work, this, his life work, the celebration of discipline. And I just want to point out some, some of these to you. The, uh, the first category is inward disciplines. We have inward disciplines like meditation. All right, meditation as opposed to maybe all the distractions in your life. Which one do you do? Do you, have, do you have a habit of distractions or do you have a habit of meditation? Another, the second one would be prayer. Do you pray or do you worry? What's your most common habit? Fasting is another one. Fasting versus gluttony. Which one do you practice most? I don't know why they call it fasting. It always goes so slow when you're not eating food. Study Here's studying, maybe studying versus entertainment. Which is your habit? Do you, ha do you habitually do more entertainment or do you study more? Outward disciplines would be the next one. You can see it here. Outward disciplines, put that first one up there. It's simplicity. Oh, simplicity, that sounds so good to us, doesn't it? 
and yet we keep complicating our lives with bad decisions. What's your habit? Feeling complicated or simplicity? Solitude. Solitude. Oh, this is a thing. Like some, I'm not just talking about some of you introverts. Okay, I'm talking about everybody. There's a, a spiritual discipline concerning solitude. And the reason people don't practice solitude is what? They're just too busy. <laughs> this is busyness. Which is your habit? Solitude or busyness? Submission is the next outward idea. Submission. Do you find that you submit to people and their input in your lives? Do you submit to your pastor? I haven't asked that ever from this platform. It felt pretty good. Yeah, maybe I should ask it again because I didn't feel very good about the answer, really. Sub leave it alone. Maybe next, maybe next week. Okay. What's the opposite of submission? Pride. You think you got it all handled. You don't need, you don't need, any, you don't need to submit it to anybody else. Which is your habit? Service would be the next one. Service. Do you have service or do you just live your life consuming everything? Getting what you can get. Then there's something called corporate disciplines. Corporate disciplines. Put that first one up there. Confession. Oh, confession. Some of you need to confess your sins to another person. Everybody needs somebody that they can tell anything to and they'll still love them. Everybody needs that. But instead, what, what do you do? You stuff it. You stuff it down. Which is your habit? Confession or stuffing? Worship would be the next one. That's a corporate discipline. Worship. When we have these worship nights, it's not just for our entertainment. It's a discipline. It's something where we get together and decide we're going to worship God and just fo focus on him. <laughs> but worship, listen, worship is a powerful idea. And some of you, it's, you don't realize how powerful, consistent worship every Sunday is. And instead of worshiping more consistently, so many of us, we end up overthinking. We live out of our brain instead of out of our heart. Which is your habit? What about guidance is the next one. Guidance. Do you, do you provide guidance to anyone else? Do you receive guidance from others? Or are you too isolated? Too isolated. Which is your habit? Celebration is the last one. Oh, I love the fact that one of the disciplines is celebration. Listen, I promise you, we don't celebrate enough at one chapel. We need to have more parties. There's always an excuse to have a party. My wife loves eating out. It is our nemesis. Eating out, not my wife. My wife is not my nemesis. My eating out is our nemesis. But she, her, her, her thing that she always does is so great. Oh, hey, we're celebrating. She comes up with something we're celebrating, and that's why we can go out to eat. So, so celebration, do you, do you ha have a habit of celebration? Do you have a habit of anxiety? A habit of just being nervous about, I'm not sure it's going to work out. Listen, these are habits. You choose the one that is godly, the one that is 
a spiritual discipline and something different happens with your, in your life than if you choose the alternatives. But make no mistake, both of them create a legacy. Both of them create a legacy. One's good, one's bad. The Apostle Paul's encouragement to the Corinthian church is in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer just beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Listen, what Paul is saying is keep your eyes on the prize. That we don't run or fight or live for Christ aimlessly, but intentionally and purposefully. And he compares this, our spiritual life, to surrendering to strict training. Ah, what? What about all the grace? I'm getting to it. Listen, I've been thinking about a question, and it's really bothered me. It's really messing with me. And the question is, what if everything in this life Everything, the entire purpose of this life in God's mind is only for the purpose of preparing me for the next life. I think you can make a pretty good case from all of Paul's letters that this is true. That everything about this life is only about preparing for the next life. That it's looking forward to the next life. That we evaluate everything we do here because of what's going to happen there. We become people that talk about the good news of Jesus because we want people to be able to experience the next life with Jesus. Do you, do you see it? St. Benedict had this 6th century rule. People have been arguing about this stuff for a long time. Here's what St. Benedict said. He said, keep your death always before your eyes. <laughs> Nothing but good news here today, folks. Why do you keep your death always before your eyes? Because the way you live matters. Hey, 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 you're going to live longer in the next life than you ever did in this life. But we have a steady diet of believing that everything matters about this life only. I think we have to wrestle. Paul here is wrestling. He talks about the boxer and he says... There's a real enemy, and that enemy is not the devil, it's you. 
It's your willingness to be lazy. It's your willingness to consume. It's your willingness, our willingness, my willingness to just let my will take whatever makes me feel good and live like that. Paul further explains this idea in his first letter to Timothy 4, 7 through 8. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. (laughs) Amen. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Spiritual discipline is about training yourself in godliness, not trying to be godly. Not trying to be godly, training yourself to be godly. In other words, it's about discipline, not some moral religious conduct. It's developing a disciplined approach to spiritual life. And it's tricky because it so easily leads to trying to be godly by our own experience, by our own power, by our own willpower. Here's, let me just say this. Trying is about pushing and pressing training is about practicing and pacing are you with me training is about practicing and pacing did you know that god is not stressed out when you don't do it good in fact he made a way for you to repent when you stink at life (laughs) when you do bad things to other people jesus is right there like waiting for you to rely on him instead of rely on yourself. And he'll fix it. He'll heal you. He'll forgive you. And these are the ways of Jesus that we're practicing, right? This is what we're talking about. And we're not, does anybody here have the ways of Jesus down? You got it down. Anybody? Yeah, pride, right there. Just kidding, just kidding. Trying is about performing and perfection. Can I be good enough? Can I perform well enough? Can I, I gotta be perfect. No, you don't. Training is about identity. Oh, this is who I am. I'm a runner. (laughs) I'm in a race. It's about identity and becoming. See, you're becoming your identity. Do you see it? Are you guys still with me? You're still thinking about the whole purpose of life being about the next life. That's That's a heavy one. Paul continues the theme in 2 Timothy. His second letter to Timothy says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Hey, Alejandro, put up that next slide. Discipline is not about works. That sentence right there. Discipline is not, no, sorry, the slide after the scripture. Discipline, no, that's the scripture. The next slide after all the scriptures. Yeah, discipline is not about works but about being immersed in grace, in God's favor. See, if you think that spiritual disciplines are about works that you do to get God's acceptance, then you'll miss it. You'll fail, you'll feel like a failure, you, you, you won't be able to do it. It won't create these, this sense of longing and wanting to do these things. But if you think about it as immersing yourself in the grace that God has given you, like that his grace for you is so big 
that his empowerment, and this is the thing people don't think about grace enough, grace is an empowerment to do something. It is not just mercy where you got forgiven of the stupid thing you did. Grace is the other side of the equation. Grace is the thing that gives you favor. That's what the word means. You've, if you've been around Christianity all your life, you've heard people say the unmerited favor of God. That's what grace means. It is unmerited, but that's not technically what it means. What it means is favor. Favor. You are favored. And it's more than an awesome parking lot, at, parking spot at the mall. <laughs> Sometimes we'll be around, we'll be like, just, uh, say, right in front. You know what that is? That's the favor. Yeah, yeah. You need to think more about the favor of God that's on your life because you follow Jesus. And when you do, that allows you to enter into what is next. Go back to verse 2, Alejandro. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trusted reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Ah, there it is, disciple making, 101. Four generations of people right there. This is what we're involved in. The big question for you and me is, are we going to enter into that? It's, you know, you know I, some have argued that making disciples is the most important spiritual discipline. But somehow we, it seems too hard for us. And we talked a lot about that. You can go back and listen to any of the stuff on the podcast. He says in verse 3, he says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this I want you to see it the soldier the athlete and the farmer what do they all have in common check this out they've got they've got delayed gratification delayed gratification listen this life is not a sprint it's a marathon and there's something beyond. We got microwave spirituality that we think makes everything instantaneous, but God's more interested in you being a crock pot. Not crack pot, crock pot. <laughs> Filled with faith. It's not, you're not, we're not involved in a get-rich-quick scheme. It's a long-term investment. It's not hormone-induced plant growth. <laughs> Natural, organic, healthy plant life. That's what Jesus is leading us into. It's daily diligence over a long period that yields the victory, the prize, and the harvest. That's what being a disciple is. That's what making disciples is about. Teaching people how to live in God's grace and favor. Training people to immerse themselves in the Jesus way of life. And walking with people and showing them how to live in a consecrated and disciplined way way <clears throat> our good friend John Mark Comer who wrote the ruthless elimination of hurry here's what he said he said if you want to experience the life of Jesus then you have to take on the lifestyle of Jesus and when you do it begins to be this 
amazing journey where you develop these habits and these habits start to create something in you that lasts far beyond you. The final passage I want you to just listen to, I want you to receive it before we pray. John 15, one through eight. Because what I'm saying here today is really about immersing yourself in Jesus, in his grace. John 15 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Oh, joy. He prunes. Why does he prune? Why does he prune it? So that it will be even more fruitful. Verse three, you are already clean. <laughs> See, you're already clean. You know Jesus. He's already cleaned you up. Jesus is saying to his disciples here and to us, you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't try to do these spiritual disciplines on your own. Don't try to do them by yourself even. I think spiritual disciplines are community dynamic. There are some internal ones, there are some external ones, there's some outward ones, there's some corporate ones, yes. But when we realize we're all doing this together, something changes. But the secret here is you can't do it without Jesus. If you do not remain in me, verse six says, you are like the branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me, verse seven, and my words, everybody say my words. My words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. <gasps> Weird. Immersing yourself in Jesus. Becoming integrated with his life. Living his ways with him at the center. Changes what you pray for. Changes how you pray. And Jesus says that when you do that, when you integrate with him, when you start living his life out, when you start developing the habits and the, the spiritual disciplines that, are, that make your life look like his, that you receive whatever you ask for. Whoa! Whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory. <laughs> not his own glory, not to your glory. To my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. I think this is it. Maybe this habits talk is the hardest one because it has so much tension in it. But I, I think what God is asking us to do as a church is learning how to begin to engage with Jesus in a deeper way a more meaningful way.
And some of you in this room, you've hit a ceiling of growth. And the reason you've hit a ceiling is you don't have a bunch of practices that you do. You haven't developed some habits that will cause you to grow even more. Richard Foster, he says, I'll finish with this, spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They only get us to the place where something can be done. You see, don't rely on the spiritual disciplines for everything. See, you do it, you do it integrated in the life of Jesus and the grace that he's given you, and you practice them. You don't do them perfectly, it's fine. But you will find something that Jesus is doing in you when you decide you're gonna practice solitude rather than the busyness that you actually have a habit toward. Close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm gonna pray over us. I'm just gonna ask us to respond. Would you respond to what Jesus is saying to you? Maybe you're in this room and you, <laughs> you barely know Jesus or you're still investigating the claims about Jesus. Is he really who he says he is? I love that. I'm so grateful you're here. This might be your day to say, I'm gonna put my trust in Jesus because you hear him calling you. You hear him calling you to a life that's fruitful, a life that is fuller than the one you have. And I wanna pray with you about that. Some of you in this room, you have really just kind of given up on any kind of habits. You're just limping along life with Jesus. You're not finding growth. You're not finding connectedness. Jesus is calling you to himself. Jesus is calling you to follow him because he has a solution that's greater than the one you can provide. A solution to make your life meaningful, full, of what matters in a way that creates a legacy that infests and influences others. I want to call you together. Let's come to Jesus and let's allow him to provide the grace we need to begin to walk in these habits. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's here in this room and you're convicting us of our own foolishness, our own failures. But more than that, more than conviction, you're calling us to be right with God, to be willing to surrender ourselves in a new way, to be committed to walking like Jesus walked, to practice the ways of Jesus in, in a way that is life-giving and not legalistic. Jesus, would you help us to figure this out? Convict us of our legalistic thinking. Convict us of our foolishness and our laziness. Convict us, Lord, of these things, but then draw us to yourself in a way that provides life and love and learning and growing. Lord, all of us want our lives to matter. Would you show us how to walk in this way? How to develop the habits that you had and to use them in our life 
to provide an opportunity, a moment where we can hear from you, where we can see you, where we can know you, and where you change us. We thank you for this, Lord. And we receive your forgiveness, we receive your healing, we receive your grace, and we choose to follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen.